0: Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for another wonderful evening that you have brought us together. You brought us together around your word, and I praise you and I thank you for it, Lord. And, Lord, as we look about and see what is going on in the world, we know that time is short. We know that you're coming, and you're coming quickly. Lord, we just praise you. We thank you. We thank you for those, Lord, that are watching online. I thank you for those that are here, Lord. And, Lord, I just ask a special blessing upon tonight's offering I ask special blessing upon the givers of that offering also, Lord. And Lord, I just ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Yeah. You know, I was thinking about something. I was thinking about how many churches that don't teach prophecy. And there is a lot of churches that do not preach prophecy at all. And most of us all know that 25 plus percent of the Bible is prophecy. That's a lot of the Bible. If you don't teach it, it's like just tearing it out and throwing it away. But I was thinking of this. Just think if you were going to the hospital, you were going to go and get a surgery, and while you're talking to the doctor, he told you, Almost as bad as that. But he told you that he only went to school 75% of the time and only read 75% of the books. Same thing. Virtually the same thing. That would be scary, wouldn't it? You know it would. So tonight we're going to be in that book that has 404 verses the book of Revelation. Yeah, book of Revelation. That's where we're going to be tonight. Uh, I titled tonight's message The Fallen Angel opens the bottomless pit. So that's going to be in Revelation chapter 9. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to continue on with the seventh seal that was loosed by the one that was worthy. Pastor Dennis talked about it in his second song, okay? The only one that was worthy to open that seal was the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Jesus himself. Revelation chapter 5, 5 tells us that. So we can recap a little bit from last time that I was here. I spoke on Revelation chapter 8. So let me recap just a little bit so we can get chapter 9 into context. And chapter 8 is when we saw the seventh seal that was opened and there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. And then chapter 8 continued with four of the seven angels that each were given one trumpet. Remember the first angel, when he sounded his trumpet, hail and fire with blood were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees and a third of all the grass was all burned up. Then the second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Along with a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. We talked about that. Then the third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers, and on the springs of waters, and that the star that was named wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was so bitter. And now that brings us to chapter nine, where we'll find the fifth angel of our study series of the seven trumpets. So open your Bibles if you haven't yet. Take it to chapter 9 of Revelation. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. I'm going to read those, follow along with me, and then I'm going to pray for tonight's service. Revelation 9, chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 9, excuse me. Chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, we need lights. They can't read. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, media room. Okay, Revelation 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of the great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Then they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green thing or any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. The torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle and their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair and teeth like were the lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many running horses into battle. They had tails like scorpions and there were stings on their tail and the power was to hurt men for five months. And they had a king over the, them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is abandoned. And, but in Greek, he has the name of Apollon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for being the God of understanding and comfort. And Lord, you are so gracious to us. I pray that you'll continue to equip us challenge us comfort us and teach us to continue to learn more about your will and way for our lives so lord as we begin tonight studying the book that you promise a blessing in open our hearts open our eyes and our ears and lord may we always lean on your promise that your grace is sufficient and when times of of trials come that you are near to us guiding and directing our lives bless this evening in a mighty way, and may you be honored and glorified in that mighty way also, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So with this very first trumpet, this is what we find, a blast of the fifth judgment, and it's going to be far more worse than any of the other judgments that we talked about. Why is that? What makes these judgments so much worse than the ones that we talked about before? It's because if you look back at the first four that we talked about, they were all directed against the earth. The ones that come now, starting in nine and going on, these judgments are directly against the ungodly and the evil of this earth. they against people. You know, folks, if you look around, uh, we're being prepared for this demonic invasion that is about to come. Uh, there's signs and there's advertising all over of astrologers, fortune tellers. We see them on TV. We, see them on, we, we hear them on radio. Uh, we see them at the, the county fairs. There's a booth for astrology. It's happening right before our eyes, along with all those that are following the cults and the witchcraft, and also Satanism. It's there. It's out there. And people are following it. Why, Why are these things out there? It's because... People are following them. There's a demand, so there's a supply. Just like in business, when there's a demand, there's going to be a supply. There are people that are searching, and they're not searching for Jesus Christ. They're searching for something else. They're searching for something that is false. In verse 1, we're told by John, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and he saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Verse 1 says that there's going to be an unnamed star or a person that is said to have fallen from heaven. Now we can ask the question, who or what is this star? Well, verse 1 will give us some clues along with other scripture. Remember how I've always said that scripture confirms scripture and it explains scripture, explains other scripture. So first of all, we can rule out that this so-called star is what we would call a physical star, something that we can see in the sky. It is not that, not that at all. Um, The reason why is, remember back in chapter 8 when we were there, the star actually had a name, Wormwood. This does not. Also notice in verse 1 it says, to him, to him. That phrase is to refer to a star as basically a male figure. Also another clue is the word fallen. Fallen is past tense. It means that it has already fallen. Let's take a look at some scripture. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 14, verse 12 says this, talking about Satan, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. It's right up there. Son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground. You weakened the nations. What he's talking about is, remember the five I wills that Satan said? Because in the following verses, in verses 13 and 14, we find where Satan gives five I wills. Remember when he he had the pride, and this is why he was virtually kicked out, he'd fallen from heaven. He said the very first one was, I will ascend into heaven. That was an I will from Satan. Another one was, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan's pride is what got him kicked out. That's exactly what happened. Also, we find, and Jesus also said this when he was talking to the disciples. Jesus said this over in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus saw it. Jesus saw it. So really, no matter who you believe the fallen angel is, the point is this. He is still under God's control and authority to open the bottomless pit. Verse 1 says, To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. We all know who has the keys. Back in chapter 1 of... And, uh, uh, in, um, Revelation verse 18, it says that Jesus has the keys to Hades and to death. So any such key must be obtained from Jesus himself. And here Jesus gives the key to this fallen angel so he can attack mankind with his hordes of demons. Now we can ask this question, why would Jesus do such a thing? Why? Well, really, It's for this reason. So that the world of evil men can reap what they have sown. And that's what will happen. We reap what we sow. And this is what's going to be happening to them. And then John continues to write what he sees in verse two saying this, and he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace so that the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Now, you know, we see this again. You know, there's really nothing new under the sun. We saw this very same thing happen back in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus in chapter 10, this is where the sky was darkened when the plague went over Egypt. So it can be done because it has been done. Now this bottomless pit, which his fallen angel unlocks, is literally a pit of the abyss. The abyss. You see, the word abyss comes from the root meaning of without depth. It basically has no bottom to it. It's translated bottomless, bottomless. Also, this abyss is so horrible that not only do the demons there want to get out of it, but the demons don't want to go into it either. I say this because if you remember back in Luke chapter 8 verse 31, we saw where Jesus had met up with a demonic man, and his name was Legion, remember? He cleaned that legion of all the demonic powers in it, and when all these hordes of demons left, where did they want to go? To the pigs! To the pigs! Yeah, they didn't want to go into the pit, they wanted to go into the pigs. You see, even the demons know this bottomless pit is a place of confinement for Satan and his messengers, Then John tells us that the smoke in the atmosphere was so thick that the sun was darkened. Dark. Couldn't see. Can't see. And this symbolizes exactly what's going to happen to all the ungodly and the evil upon the earth. There will be darkness and the breath of life will be suffocated from them. Because why? Because of the heavy smoke. You can't breathe when there's that much smoke. You don't and I'm sure, I, I've run into them, and I'm sure that each and every one of you have also done the very same thing. You've, you've run into people that believe that Satan is the ruler of hell. As a matter of fact, they're surprised when they're told that Satan isn't even in hell. Satan isn't cast into hell until Revelation chapter 21. And some people even believe that Satan and Jesus are on equal terms. I've heard it over and over again, but can I tell you, rest assured, they are not. They're absolutely not on equal terms. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of all authority also because the authority has been given to him. Satan's authority is limited by the power of Jesus Christ. There's another falsehood too. Satan is not the brother of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I've heard this from so many people. Aren't they like brothers? No. My goodness gracious, John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten son. Now, I don't know about you, but how many is only? One. Exactly. You know, when you hear someone say that, just... Take them to John 3, 16. It will really take care of a lot. It will convict them of their hearts. In verses 3 through 10 of chapter 9, John gives us a detailed description of these creatures that come out of the smoke when the bottomless pit is open. So let's begin with verse number 3. Verse 3 says this, Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Okay, first thing to settle out of all of this. These so-called locusts that are talked about are not the actual flying locust insect locusts that you and I would know, okay? So we can ask, well, how do we know that? How do we know it for sure? Well, first, they were, they were not created by Satan because God is a creator of all, right? Uh, they're fallen angels who joined Satan in his rebellion. And we know that from Revelation. A third of the angels fell with him, remember? Also, we read in verse 11 earlier when I read all the verses, John said that they had a king over them of this, in this angel, the bottomless pit. And again, Scripture confirms Scripture. If you go back to what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27, it clearly tells us that locusts have no king, talking about the insects. They have no king. But we read here, these locusts do. However, these locust creatures do have a demonic king, and we're going to get into more of that in, when we get to verse 11. We'll talk a little more in depth. So these creatures are demons. They're fallen angels. They're soldiers of Satan who are let loose to do his bidding, to do what he wants them to do. So then the question is this, well, then why are these demons called locusts? Well, again, if we go back into the Old Testament, we go into Exodus, over in chapter 10, we find that there was a plague of locusts over all of the land, remember? God told Moses, tell Pharaoh, I will send them in, and they like completely devastated the land, didn't they? Yeah. You see, Locusts from the Old Testament time right up to the time now are a symbol of God's anger against the ungodly and the evil of this world. A matter of fact, in the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2, locusts were symbols of a destruction because they destroyed all the vegetation. However, here, they're a symbol of an invasion of demons called the torture people that do not believe in God. They're not here to eat the vegetation. They're here to torture and to harm people. In verse 3, it goes on to say this, To them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. So these creatures have the power to sting like scorpions. And we've all seen scorpions. We all know that that sting is powerful. And then there's one more thing also. It's not coincidental that these creatures are called locusts. The reason being is this. That they are destructive creatures. A matter of fact, we know them as being very destructive. They clear cut. You know, let, let me put it this way to kind of give you this description. It is said that the average swar- swarm of locusts weigh about one ton. Think about that 2,000 pounds. And One ton or roughly 2,000 pounds of locusts eat the same amount of food in one day as 10 elephants or 25 camels or 2,500 people. Think about it, just one swarm of locusts. So here in verse 3 of John, and John is telling us how destructive these creatures are going to be. He compares them to locusts again, as John is comparing them to something that they would understand in his day, and we understand it in our day too. So obviously, if God wanted these creatures, they would themselves could destroy humanity from the face of the earth if he wanted them to, but that's not God's plan at all. But scripture tells us that these locusts are restrained in their activity, and not only is it restrained, but it's limited. We know this because because John tells us in Revelation Chapter 9, verse 4. These locusts are commanded not to harm the grass or the green thing, and that's their uh, uh, insect locusts' diet, including any trees, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, that's not the locusts that we know as insects. So with this command, it makes it clear that these are not the kind of locusts that you and I have seen in our lifetime. It's not what we've seen. I say this because it's the grass and the green things along with the leaves of the tree that ordinary locusts would devour. But these locusts avoid these things. But they have a different appetite, these locusts. You see, the mission of these locusts is a single mission. They are to hurt the people of the earth only. Not the to, not to, only way to do it is just harm them. Harm and hurt them. That's it which they are more than willing to undertake. Believe me, they want to prevent, they want to mislead, they want to destroy people's relationship with God. However, notice verse four comes with a condition. God sets boundaries with these locusts on their activities. And they're careful. They must discriminate between the saved, the sealed, and the unsaved, the unsealed with their attacks. So we learn from chapter 7, there are at least the 144,000 of the tribes of the children of Israel, they were sealed. So they're in this mix, not to be contaminated with these locusts. And there'll be others, this tribulation time, there will be others that come to know Christ. So we find the bottom line here is God's people may undergo the wrath of man. They may be tortured. They may be persecuted. They may be beheaded. They may be killed for their faith. But they will be protected from the wrath of God. God even tells these locusts, don't mess with the people that are saved, that are marked. So all of God's people who have the seal on their foreheads, will be protected from these terrible creatures called locusts. We even have a promise in which we can hang our hats on. Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia, back in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, Because you have kept my commandments to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, the late Tim LaHaye, and someone that I agree with, says this is the most specific guarantee from our Lord himself that Christian believers will not go into the seven-year tribulation period that's unveiled from chapter 6 all the way through 18. Amen. Amen is right. And we should praise God for that. In verse 5, we also find that these creatures' torment is limited. They are not allowed to kill, but only to torture. So these creatures were given permission to torture the unsealed people of the earth. They were given the ability to inflict an excruciating scorpion-like sting. We also find in verse 5, there's a a limitation of time. Five months. A five-month limitation was placed on their freedom of torment against those that are unsealed upon the earth. The idea is a continuous attack. These locust demons are to continually attack the ungodly for five long months, day and night, no escape, no hiding, no way to get run away from them, no way to hide from them, no way to get away. Something I really found very interesting about that five month period 150 days. 150 day period. Five months. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 24, it says, And the waters prevailed on the earth for how many days? 150 days. So during the rise of the flood waters of Noah's day, the people suffered and they died. Now, just in the days of Noah, People will suffer again during this time for the 150 days. The only difference is none of them will be able to die. They can only be suffered and tormented for that amount of time. We know that because if we go right into verse 6, verse 6, we're told that men will seek death and not find it. And the death that they desire will flee from them. In other words, the sting of these demon locusts produces anguish of mind and of spirit almost beyond endurance, what they can handle. And in verse 5, we saw the word torment used three times. Three times. That's important. When God repeats himself, it is something for us to take stock in too. Three times he says it. He says it so we get the understanding that this effect of this sting of these demons. The bottom line is this, the agony they produce is going to be so great, the ungodly who normally would flee from death will now scream begging for death just to be able to put an end to the miseries that they're going through. But what's ironic about that is even if the people could commit suicide in that day, they're basically jumping from a frying pan right into the fire, Yeah, maybe they would be escaping the demons of earth, but they would be going to a place where the demons don't even want to go. Remember? They don't want to go. that. Remember in Luke chapter 8? The demons beg, no, no, not the abyss. The pigs, the pigs. These people are wanting to die. So those that are tormented cannot die yet. They're in anguish beyond what words can even describe. The easiest way really to put it is it's hell on earth. It's hell on earth to them. In verses 7 through 10, John gives us eight detailed descriptions of these locust demons. And can I tell you that each and every one of these descriptions has a clear-cut meaning. They really do. So we're going to talk about that. In verse 7, we'll find three of the eight descriptions. Description number one. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. So because of that, we know this, these demon invaders will be able to fly like locusts, run like horses, and sting like scorpions. And with the terror that these creatures generate, no wonder the godly is going to seek out death. You know, if you go back even centuries back into the Old old, uh, Testament, and you take a look at Joel, he's writing about the day of the Lord, and he says this in chapter 2, verse 4. The day of the Lord. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like swift steeds, so they run. He's basically telling us exactly what's going to happen. So these steeds or horses run like the wind. Description number two. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. Here again, a crown in the Bible is kind of a picture of authority or dominion or a power. They have power, even though their power is limited and they have to keep it in within some type of boundaries. They have power. They have power. This tells us that they're also going to be conquerors. They are going to achieve what God wants them to do. They're going to stay within the boundaries. They're going to do exactly what God tells them to do. And it's going to be tormenting those that are ungodly upon the earth. And because they're they're going to be successful in those attacks. Absolutely. Because, you see, man is not going to have any weapon against them. Uh, The medicines of the world will have no cure. And everything that man tries will fail to do away with these. Description number three. And their faces were like the faces of men. This symbolizes that these demonic locusts are intelligent. They're cunning and they're clever. And of course, we know that these locusts are intelligent because the terror on these ungodly will be the result of a blind instinct. But it's not going to be that because they were told, but of rational thought. They will know and be able to distinguish the sealed from the unsealed. So there's going to be some intelligence there. Uh, you know, the prophet Isaiah makes an interesting statement in chapter 3, verse 9, saying this, the look on their countenance, witness against them. What Isaiah was talking about back then was the days of, in, of Sodom. But what he was saying is this, is the, and the point is, just as the people and their faces in Sodom's day displayed their rebellion against God, and we know that Sodom and Gomorrah rebelled against God in every which way, God here in Isaiah say that the faces of these demonic creatures, they will display the same evil face upon the earth. They're pure evil. And John gives us the next two descriptions of these demons in verse 8. Description number 4. Dead hair like a woman's hair. Now we all know that a woman's hair is beautiful and attractive to the eye of the beholder. Alright? A lot of us may think that... Someone's hair isn't beautiful, but there is someone that does think that. So we know that that. So this tells us that these demon creatures will have somewhat attractiveness to them. But there's something else, too, that both have. They're horribly and and seductively beautiful. Something about them not only is horrible, but it's seductive about them how can that be? Well, think of it this way. It may be like this. We've all had experiences, right? Where we see something terrible that really we shouldn't be looking at. Maybe it's a car accident or something terrible that's went on and we can't help ourselves, we look. Right? Can't help ourselves, we look. Same thing, we stare at it. Uh, Description number five, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. Again, Scripture confirms Scripture. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, what? the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. You know what I really like? is I look out and I see everyone that is here, we're inside the flock. A lion that wants to devour its prey does not jump in the middle of the flock. Those of you that may be here or online that are forsaking the assembly of others you are on the outside of the flock lions love to take the weak and the ones that are alone so be very very careful about that so you see there will be two parts of these scriptures of these creatures uh, they will be what we would call the beauty the hare and the beast the lion most of us know that the teeth of a lion not only inflict a terrible wound, but even if the bite does not kill us, the saliva that comes from the mouth of a lion, it'll cause an infection. And it'll be almost impossible to recover from it. I mean, think of our own house cats. If you get scratched by a house cat or bit by a house cat and you don't get it washed out quickly, it will become infected. Think of the lion. Let's go to number six. Description number six in verse nine, John gives us another detailed description of these creatures. He says he sees them wearing breastplates of like iron. This description clearly tells us that these uh, these creatures are indestructible. They're protected. They're defended. They've got suits on. They've got some type of armor on. People will be absolutely helpless in defending themselves or killing them. Description number seven, verse nine also says this. And the sound of their their flapping wings has the sound of many horse chariots running into battle. They're making big noise. Again, scripture backs us up. The vision that we see John having here, Joel writing in the day of the Lord says this in chapter 2 of Joel in verses 5 and 6, 5 says, With a noise like chariots over mountaintops, they leap like the noise of a flaming fire that devours a stubble like a strong people set in battle array. And then verse 6 continues saying this, Before the people writhe in pain, all faces are drained of color. The pain is so intense that they just become white as a sheet. We've been there, we've experienced that through some type of pain. White as a sheet. Uh, The word writhe here means to suffer in agony, by the way. Uh, Suffer a great emotional distress. So here what we find is Satan's army has no idea of what mercy is. Because these people, they can't escape. They are already trapped by the thundering hooves of these demonic cavalry that are surrounding them. And there is no hope. There is no escape. What remains is the imminent torment and pain to come to each and every one of them. 150 days, five months, constant, day and night. Can't get away from it. The only thing that is heard is the shrieks and the moans and the groans of all those that are stung by these creatures. But there is no escape, there's no hiding, there's no protection, and there is no comfort offered to them. Lastly, description number eight. In verse 10, we hear again John telling us he sees these denom- dynamic creatures having tails like scorpions with stingers. Verse 10 tells us, reaffirms verse 5, saying their power was to hurt men for five months now let's get to verse 11 because this is really important because now what's happening we are introduced to another demo- dynamic player follow along again with me as i read verse 11 john writes this and they the they is the, deno- uh, the demonic creatures had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in hebrew is Abaddon, but in greek he has the name of apollo now why is that important it's really important because number one we find that this bottomless pit it has its own king and his name is given to us in two languages hebrew and greek and in both languages both of those names means one thing destroyer both languages destroyer and yes it was important for john to write both those languages down Because this information is for the Jew and the Greek. You see, both Jew and Greek will fall prey to this dark angel and his servants. And these demons from the bottomless pit are devoted to doing his every command. Every command. They will follow him to the T. Whatever he says to do, they will do. So verse 12 tells us that one woe has passed. The fifth has lasted for a long five months. But guess what? There's more woes to come. There's more judgments to come. Six and seven are yet to fall upon the evil people of the world. And we'll finish chapter 9 the next time I come and speak. We'll go from 13 on to the end. Now let me tell you something, I know that, the, I know that the, this judgment messages, they're tough to hear. Matter of fact, they're frightening, but can I tell you, if you're a born again, truly born again believer, don't fear it, we're gone, we're gone. Fear it for our friends, our family, our loved ones, that's who needs to hear this message, because. If this all starts and we're gone, they will be the ones that are left to deal with this. They will be the ones. You see, this message tonight is for them. It's for them. It's to remind us, but it's for us to take it to them. You see, John was given the command to describe in detail this future event to give fair warning To all those that refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're going to know what's exactly to expect. What God is doing is preparing us for two comings. The coming of Satan and the coming of the Lord and of our Savior. The question is, who do you want to meet face to face? It's a no-brainer to us, right? Right? but there may be some that you know and some out there that haven't made that decision yet. And they will have to ask themselves who they want to meet face to face, Satan or Jesus. Hmm. So really the moral of the story is this, you gotta make that decision. You gotta make the decision if you haven't already. You see, once that pit is opened, the world will be invaded by demonic virus. And there's only two eternal destinations. There's going to be a prison called hell. And by the way, God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves to hell. You know how we know that? Because Jesus tells us over in Matthew 25 that hell was prepared for who? Satan and his angels. It wasn't prepared for anyone else. It was prepared for Satan and those that fell with him. Those of humans that go along with him, that's just the byproduct. Hell, and, and let me tell you, I know that people don't like, to, they don't like to hear about hell. We're going to hear about it online, no doubt. I am, you don't know how I'm going to get razzed about this. But Jesus talked more about hell in the New Testament than he did heaven. So I don't know. It must be important, right? Right. But I'm telling you, there is a hell and there is a heaven. And it's your choice. It's your choice. Your choice of where you want to go. Heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ or hell? The choice is yours. If you haven't made that choice, make it now. And I know I'm speaking to the choir out here, but maybe online, if you haven't made that choice, make it now. Make it now. Now is the time of salvation, by the way. Now is the time. I'm going to tell you something. Satan's biggest tool in his tool belt? Procrastination. (laughs) Procrastination. How can that be? Can I tell you? If Satan can keep you, One more hour, one more day, one more week, one more month from making that commitment to Jesus Christ. That's one more day, one more week, one more month. You're close to hell. Biggest tools, procrastination. Don't procrastinate. Don't, don't do it anymore. Make that commitment, make that commitment. Let's bow and pray. Mm. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for allowing us a a glimpse of what will come to this world and the judgment that will fall upon the wicked and the evil. Lord, I just ask you this. Help us to realize that beginning well is a temporary thing. It's finishing well that is a lifelong thing. And Lord, I ask you to help us to forever cry out to you, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Tonight I pray in the name of Jesus. If there's someone here tonight that needs assurance of their salvation, I pray right now that they pray for the salvation you offer by surrendering their life, Lord. Let them give to you the burden of sin and be assured of heaven for eternity. Lord, bless us this week as we go. We adore you. We love you. And you are precious to us. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.